Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing and Happy New Year. If you came for the first time at Christmas and now you're venturing back, we just want to especially welcome you, honored that you would come back here as well. Hey, let me look in the camera and welcome all of those who are joining us, The Crossing Midtown, West Henderson, St. George, our microsites, those watching online. Can we just give them a great big welcome? Glad to have you part of the Crossing family with us. Well, I thought I would start off by sharing some highlights from our Christmas services. We had 14 Christmas services at our four locations, and we actually broke 12,000 people for the first time as a church in our 20-year history, which is pretty cool. And I wanted you to see what happened at our other locations as well. This is included in that number, but 415 at West Henderson, 635 at Midtown, and 80 at St. George. And so that is so cool just to see how God is growing those other locations and having an impact. Well, here's a number that I think is way cooler than those numbers right there, and that's this. We had 85 baptisms over Christmas. Now look at this. We had 713 baptisms in 2019. That right there is amazing. And it's okay. Let's celebrate that. So I just want to thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for the hundreds of you who served at one of our Christmas services. And I want to thank you for your generosity. What I often say here is that you don't just give to the crossing. You give through the crossing then not only does your generosity allow us to do what we're able to do here, but we were able to bless some of our partners around the globe. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, just for your generosity of seeing people come to Jesus. Well, do you ever wish you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice or wisdom based on what you now know or what you've learned in your life? Brad Paisley has this song called Letter to Me, where he talks about if he could go back and write a letter and send it back to his 17-year-old self. Well, that just got me thinking, that if I could go back and give my younger self some advice, what would I say? So I came up with a list of my top 10 things I would tell my younger self. And, and here it is. Number one is don't be afraid to ask that girl out when you're a freshman in high school because she'll become your wife. And so that's a good one right there. Number two, those soft pretzel sticks are not samples. They're someone's order. So let me tell you what happened here. I was at the mall, and I went to one of those pretzel places, and they had these pretzel sticks sitting in a box right on the counter. I thought it was a sample. So I went and grabbed it out. Well, apparently it was somebody's order, and everybody just lost their mind. So I would not do that again if I had it to do all over again. Number three, don't worry about that church that lets you go. When Darla was pregnant with our first child, Josiah, I was at this church, and they met with me on one Sunday, and they said, we don't think that you're the guy for us moving forward. Do you want this to be your last day? I was like, what? I was just devastated. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Here's, here's the next one. Avoid that investment opportunity because it's too good to be true. It was actually a Ponzi scheme, and I lost a lot of money from that. So avoid that one. Number five, spend more time with your dad. He won't be around forever. I lost my dad 20 years ago this week, and there's just so many times I wish I could just sit down with my dad and just tell him about my life. 
Number six, don't imitate other preachers. Imitate Jesus. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Number seven for me is dream bigger dreams. Because one day those dreams are going to send you to a city you never even wanted to visit. But it will become home for you, a city called Las Vegas. And so dream bigger dreams. Number eight, buy as much Apple stock as you can afford and then retire. Is that on anybody else's list too? Okay. Number nine, enjoy the journey more. Destinations are overrated. And then the last one, be more concerned with being devoted to Jesus instead of being perfect. Well, my guess is you have your own list as well. There's some things that you wish you could avoid. There's some things that you wished that you could do over. There's some times that you wish that you could be fully present in that moment instead of being distracted. Well, we're starting this new series called Letters from Your Future Self. And here's the theme of this series. The theme of this series is the decisions you make today will shape your tomorrow. The decisions you make today will shape your tomorrow. Just like there are some decisions you wish you could go back and do differently, well, we can't. And so we begin to look forward and we have the opportunity to begin to shape our life into all that God desires for us to be, for you to be. And so today, we're going to talk about this right here. It's devotion over perfection. Devotion over perfection. So let me just make a confession to you. Hi, my name is Shane, and I'm a perfectionist. Okay, okay. So your job at this is to say, hi, Shane, in a real friendly way that encourages me to be open. Okay, so we're going to try this again. Hey, everybody, my name is Shane, and I'm a perfectionist. Thank you. Much better, much better. I tend to live with an unhealthy need to live up to your expectations and to live up to my expectations and to live up to God's expectations. Does anybody else battle with this or is it just me? See, you might even be able to show grace to others when they fall short, but you hold yourself to these unrealistic expectations when you fall short. You hold on to these deep feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness. See, all of us, we tend to have different responses to perfectionism. If you might have this issue right here, you might have one of these three responses right here. The first one is that we just try harder. We just tell ourselves, well, you just need to be more disciplined. You just need to get your act together. And so you go out and you make these unrealistic New Year's resolutions that you won't be able to keep for a week. And you say, if I just tried harder, it would all work out. See, this is where some of you are. This is the way you respond to perfectionism. You just try harder. For some of us, we tap out. We just quit. Maybe this started when, when you were a child. Because in your childhood, if you couldn't be the best, you just quit. And if you couldn't live up to your unrealistic expectations of yourself or the expectations that were put on you, you just tapped out. Maybe it's this third one right here is that we blame someone else. That we can't take ownership of our own shortcomings, so we blame someone else. We put it on them. It is their fault. This is, this is their fault. See, perfectionism is a mask for insecurity. 
And the reason that we work so hard to perform is because our deepest fear is that, that we will be inadequate, that we will never be good enough, that we will never be successful enough. And so we just tell ourselves, well, this is just the price you pay for being successful. See, this isn't just a personal problem. This is a spiritual problem as well. For some of you, your story is that you walked away from faith. You tried to be the perfect Christian, and you became exhausted with never being good enough, so you just walked away from your faith. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. I'll have the scriptures up here on the screen as well. But the Apostle Paul can relate to you perhaps better than anyone else. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. And there was no greater perfectionist than the Pharisees. Well, then he had this encounter with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, and he ends up writing half of the New Testament. And one of those letters, he writes to a church that's in the city of Rome. And if you were a Christian living in Rome in the first century, it was not a safe place to be. And the Apostle Paul, he describes this conflict that all of us wrestle with. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. See, all of us can tell a story of something that we said or did in the past week and go, I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. Why do I do these things? See, this is what makes us make these New Year's resolutions. We make the promise, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. So it's going to be different because there is this conflict between what you want and your human nature. The Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Here's what he's saying. I know what I ought to do. I, I know the right things. I just don't do it. And then those things that I hate, why is it that I end up doing those things? Let me speak to a few of you right now. Because for some of you, if you are being honest, it's not just the things that you do that you hate. You hate yourself. That you hold something inside and you would like to blame someone else, but you blame yourself for what you do. And the Apostle Paul says, I understand that. I understand that because after a while, I hate myself. I hate what I do. He says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, here's what he's talking about. That before the Apostle Paul became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. And he was a really good Pharisee. Paul says, of all the people who are trying to keep the Jewish law I was the best. He was saying that it's not that the rules are bad. I just couldn't keep them. It's not that, that I don't know right from wrong. I just can't do it. Years ago, Darla and I had this couple who was in our small group. And they had these strong opinions about Christianity, about marriage, about the Bible, they were very vocal about the things that you should do and that you shouldn't do. And we just felt intimidated by them. I remember thinking, I can't live up to those standards. I'm just not good enough to live up to those standards that they have and that they kind of put on everyone else. Well, they transferred to another city. 
And after a few years, they walked away from the church and they walked away from their marriage because they couldn't keep up with the rules that they had made for themselves. Maybe you know somebody who is like that. Paul says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. I have the desire. We know what this is like. You know, I want to eat the apple, but ice cream tastes so much better. I desire to do what is good. You know, I try really, really hard, but I can't carry it out. See, every one of us, we can relate to that. Because there is what we naturally want, and it is in direct conflict to what we ultimately want. We know the kind of person that we ultimately want to be like, but it is in direct conflict with what we want right now, with what we naturally want. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. The Apostle Paul, he begins to talk about this. He says what this feels like, it's like this war. It is this waging war. It is this battle that we have going on. And it is this war that's going in on you. And he says, it starts right here in my mind. It's right here because there's this war between what we want now and what we want most. But every battle is won or lost first in our mind. That there are some days that we win this battle, and then there's other days that we give in to this battle. And then he just throws up his hands. And he says what every one of us have thought because he's just like us. He says, what a wretched man I am. At some point, every one of us have thought this because we come face to face with our own sin. Because we know what we want to do. We know what we ought to do. We just can't live up to those expectations. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? See, Paul doesn't say, what will rescue me? That's legalism. That's what legalism says. Legalism defines your spiritual life by what you do and what you don't do. And then what we do, if you maybe grew up in a legalistic mindset, a legalistic church, what we do is we take that legalism and then we force it onto everybody else. We just put it on all of them. But Paul says, who will rescue me? He says this. He says, thanks be to God. Turn to that next slide. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ. Through him, we can break this bondage of perfectionism. We can break the bondage of I should, but I can't. I want to, but I'm never good enough that you are delivered through Jesus Christ. So here's this big idea for today is that God doesn't demand perfection. He desires devotion. 
Some of you have been on this treadmill of trying to be perfect all the time, and that's not what God wants. God does not demand for you to be perfect. He desires for you to be devoted to him, and there's a difference. Let me contrast these two things for a moment just to help you understand. See, this is the difference between perfectionism and devotion. Perfectionism is about what I do. This is my performance. This is my effort. These are my religious works. But devotion is all about what Jesus has done. This is his righteousness. It's his goodness. It's his work that is in you. Perfectionism is all about me. It's all about me. It's about my work. It's about my effort. It's about all of the things that I put into it. It's all about me. Where devotion is all about Jesus. I am devoted to Jesus and his calling for my life because Jesus has a calling for your life. Perfectionism says, if I obey, God will love me. And it's conditional on me. It's conditional on my obedience. God's not going to love me. But see, here's what devotion says. Devotion says, because God loves me, I choose to obey. And this is completely different. See, this one comes out of already knowing that God loves you. And because God loves you, this is the kind of life that he's calling you to live. It is completely different. Perfectionism says, I win God's approval. That I can just kind of win God's approval by living a certain way. But here's what devotion says. Devotion says, I live from God's approval. That God is for you. God is already for you. You already have God's approval. See, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. You are not saved by works so that none of us can boast. Because of Jesus, the pressure is off that you don't have to be perfect to please him, that he doesn't demand perfection. He desires devotion. We see this in the early church, that the book of Acts is just a book that just is written to show us what this brand new church was like. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. It says they devoted themselves. Notice this. They devoted themselves. This wasn't about trying harder This wasn't about earning their way to God. This was about devoting themselves to God. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these spiritual practices. The Judaism, their former religion, was all about perfection. It was all about keeping the rules. But Christianity is about grace. It's about having this relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians chapter 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. I think we underestimate the power of prayer. That most of us underestimate what prayer does. See, prayer, God not only hears your prayers. God not only responds to your prayers. Prayer not only changes the heart of God, Prayer changes us. That studies show that when we pray, that something chemically changes in our brain. It chemically changes when we begin to pray. There is a connection between your inner peace and your prayer life. 
The Apostle Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. In Romans chapter 12, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Instead of being driven by perfection, that we're devoted to one another. See, this is the decision to put people over perfection. That we choose intimacy. That we choose relationship. That we choose depth of connection over performance and perfection. And instead of being driven by perfection, you devote yourself to some spiritual practices. And let me just call a time out here for a second. This is why we want you to be a part of Rooted. Rooted is this 10-week discipleship journey, this 10-week small group, where you will learn the seven rhythms that every follower of Christ should have in their life. We've had 1,500 people from the crossing go through Rooted, and we want you to go through this because here's what they will tell you. Then instead of just trying harder, instead of trying to be perfect to get it all together, there are these tools of these seven rhythms that will teach you these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices to help you be devoted to God. It is a game changer for us. I've been a pastor for over 30 years now. Now, here's the thing about pastors is that everybody expects their pastor to be perfect. And we can understand that because we have seen so many bad versions of spiritual leaders. But here's what it does. It causes some pastors to have these unrealistic expectations of themselves, and it causes others to use perfectionism to cover up their own sin. That everybody else thinks that they're perfect, but then there is this huge sin that is underlying that never gets confessed, that they never repent of. So in my early years of ministry, I fell into the trap of perfectionism. It was trying to live up to other people's expectations of me trying to live up to my expectations of myself, trying to live up the expectations that I thought God had of me, and I just became exhausted. And so years ago, I just made this decision. To the best of my ability, I was never going to put on this facade of perfection, that I was going to share my struggles. I was going to share my insecurities, my feelings of inadequacy, that I would just devote myself to these spiritual practices, just trying to be in God's word, just praying, to practice generosity and purity and loving people. And here's the goal. Here's why I made that decision. My hope is that there would be somebody here who said, if he can do it, I can do it. And I can do that. It's not trying to do all of these things that we can never live up to, going, I can do that. And let me just tell you, if you are looking for the perfect pastor, you are at the wrong church. There's no perfect pastors at this church. Some of you are just worn out by your own perfectionism. And this is your opportunity to lay it before Jesus to let this be the year that you gave up trying to be perfect and instead devoted yourself to some spiritual practices. See, our calling is not to convince people how good we are. Our calling is to convince people how good God is. And as part of this series, I'm going to share with you a verse that has shaped me in this area. 
that has shaped me in this stronghold. And then I have a letter that I've written to my future self that maybe you'll kind of see yourself in as well. And so here's the scripture for today. It's Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this, that you can be confident of God's work in you. You can be confident, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this verse right here has impacted my life perhaps more than any other verse in the Bible. When I was in high school, I had this scripture reference printed on the front of my Bible, just Philippians 1.6. And the reason that I did that is it was a reminder that God had a plan for my life, that God had not forgotten me, that he was not finished with me yet, that he had a purpose for my life. Now, these days, I usually read my Bible on my iPad or on my iPhone, you know, through one of my devices. And so I don't have that scripture verse on my Bible in front of me all the time. And so this year, I decided to do something different. I had a pair of custom chucks made, and I put the verse on the back of my shoes right here. And so you can see that Philippians 1, 6 right there. Okay, now I know that's weird. Okay, so I know some of you are going, that is really weird. That, that is pretty weird. But for me, it's just one of those things of just a reminder when I put on my shoes that God's just reminding me, it's not my good work. It's not my good work. It's God's good work in me that he started this good work years ago and he promises to complete it. See, my job, my job is to partner with him. God's job is to bring this work that he started in me to completion. And so what I want to do is I want to take these four verses that I'm going to share these four weeks, and I want us to put them to memory. And so I want us to practice this together. So what I'm going to do, we're going to do this in three parts. I'm going to read it. You can repeat it after me, and then we'll read it together, okay? So let's just read this together so you can repeat after me. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, now we're going to all say this together. So this, say this with me. I'll kind of do it in those three sections that we just learned it. So let's say this together. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You got it? Okay, we're going to take this off the screen. We're going to see if you really have it. Okay, you ready? Okay, let's say this together. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, I just believe that, that God has done a good work in you, that when you became a follower of Jesus, he started this work, and it's his work, and you just begin to partner with him. Well, I've written a letter to go along with this, just thinking, what do I need to hear? Maybe yours would be similar. So, dear Shane, don't let your unrealistic expectations of yourself rob the joy out of your life. In fact, your expectations will be so high that you will never be able to meet them. 
And if you're not careful, you will force those expectations onto other people. You were never meant to carry that kind of burden. When you fall short, it's a reminder that you need a Savior. Learn to forgive yourself and to give yourself the same grace that you try to give to others. You will be tempted to look at the successes of other people and feel inadequate. This will cause you to try harder or to even give up. Don't be tempted to do that. From the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, God began a good work in you. Remember, it's not your good work. It's God's good work. His job is to bring it to completion. Your job is to be devoted to him. And when you devote yourself to him, when you devote yourself to these simple spiritual practices, you will find that that's when you start to become more and more like Jesus. Signed from your future self. My name is Shane Phillip, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. But I'm striving to be devoted to Jesus more than being devoted to what others think of me or the pressure that I put on myself. I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in a time of prayer. Because I think that for some of you, God is trying to speak into your life right now. God is trying to get your attention. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you just to bow your heads. And maybe just in your own words, just say this to God. Say, God, I give up trying to be perfect. That God, this year, I want to be devoted to Jesus. To devote myself to being more like him. God, I confess that I try to carry it all on my own and it's a burden too heavy for me. So Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you would complete the work that you have begun in me. This is your good work and I'll partner with you in that. God, the truth is that there are so many of us who just feel this burden that is just too heavy to bear. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he says, all of you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, come to me, for I will give you rest. So God, that's what we want to do. We want to come before Jesus and to find that rest, to find that peace. Will you complete your work in us? God, would you serve your purpose in our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.